You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Well, today is a great day uh, to join us. Not only is it our fifth birthday, but we are jumping into our fall teaching series, a really uh, a series on vision called Everything. It's a series about everything. Everything you could ever want to know in the next six weeks. No. Uh, here at Jesus, we say we're get, we follow Jesus with everything because he first loved us. And that's not a concept that we came up with five years ago when we're like, what should our vision statement be? This is something you consistently see from Jesus. He doesn't call people to be partially in or just to show up to an event on a Sunday, he calls people to wholehearted commitment, to be sold-out followers. Look at how Jesus responded to a teacher of the law who asked him how he summarized the great commandment. In Matthew 22, 37 and 38, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with, everyone say that next word, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. How much of you is Jesus looking for? All of you. He's looking for everything. Jesus says this is the great and first commandment. And yet so often what we do is we compartmentalize our lives, don't we? We have our, our work, we have our family, we have our friends, we have entertainment, and then we give Jesus, think about like a pie or a pie chart, we give Jesus a sliver of it. And imagine Jesus saying, God's not looking for a piece of you. He wants the whole thing. And we've got to learn. We've got to learn how to surrender all of the compartmentalized aspects of our lives to surrender all of those things to Jesus. And so we're going to be looking over the next six weeks at really six of these categories in our lives and what it looks like to follow Jesus in that area. And today we're starting with relationships. How do we follow Jesus in our relationships? And that's really the first place that Jesus starts in Matthew 22. He says, we we love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And then he says this in Matthew 22, 39 and 40. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. There's that word all again. And so Jesus says these are really two sides of the same coin. You cannot love God well if you are not loving the people that God has created, people created in the image of him. And so I was thinking about our relationships and how do we love Jesus? How do we follow Jesus with our relationships? And I can go a lot of different ways. There's lots of ways that you can be loving towards people. You can help them move. If they're moving, you can give someone a cupcake. You can encourage someone, right? There's many things that we can do to love someone, but really the most loving thing, I'm convinced that the most loving thing that you can do for someone else is bring them to Jesus. Amen? It's to show someone who Jesus is in how you interact with them and how you speak with them, and especially if you have a friend, a family member, a a literal neighbor who does not know Christ, the absolute most loving thing that you could do is bring that person to Jesus, to bring that person to Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about today. If you have a Bible, you can open to Luke 15. We'll be in Luke 15 a little bit later. And in Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories, the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. Do you notice anything that those three stories have in common? The word lost. Lost. 
And really, that's what Jesus refers to people who don't know him yet. He calls them lost. Maybe you're here and you feel lost. That you feel like you're searching around directionless. And, uh, and we've all probably had that experience of losing something. I think there tends to be two kinds of people at risk of categorizing people, but there tends to be two kinds of people. There's one kind of person who's always losing things. You know who you are. I'm not going to ask you to raise your, raise your hand. Where are my keys? Where's my glasses? Where's my wallet? Where's my purse, right? Where's the cat? No, hopefully not. Uh, always losing things. And then there, there's another kind of person who lives by this motto, a place for everything and everything in its place. You know who you are. And somehow, it just works out that those two people typically marry each other. <laughs> Have you found that to be true? Maybe not all the time, but this is how, how it goes. My, it's my observation. And I tend to be the second kind of person. I very rarely lose things. And uh, when I get home, the very first thing I do with the keys is I installed a little key hook right in the house. Like, you open the door, it's like, right there. The keys go on the key hook. Why would I spend the time and the money to buy the hook and do the level and find the studs and screw it in and be like, I'm home. I guess I'll just, I guess, no. And so it's just like, so that's what I do with the keys, the first thing. And I want to tell you a story which makes it more frustrating with myself when I do lose something because I have no idea what to do in those situations. Because typically, if it's not in the place that it should be, I have no idea where it is. And I want to tell you a story of a time I lost my keys. This is Christmas Eve 2017. It was my first Christmas Eve services preaching as a lead pastor of a church. Spent about seven years in youth ministry. I became a lead pastor. This, this predates Hill City Church. And uh, it was Christmas Eve 2017. My wife was pregnant with our firstborn. She would actually, we didn't know at the time, she, the, our, our firstborn came early. The, our, the fir- our first child would be born four days after this event. Just a little bit high, high stress time of life. First Christmas Eve, high stakes, you know, services right there. And then uh, for some reason, someone at the church had decided that we should do an 11 p.m. Christmas Eve candlelight service. And that someone was Brian, the drummer, who's drumming today. <laughs> I didn't mention his name first service, but he told me I could. I could throw him under the bus. This is, this is, you'll see in a minute, this is the first and the last 11 p.m. church service that we'll do as Hill City Church. And, uh, and if you were living in Boise, if you were in the Treasure Valley in 2017, do you remember anything significant about the weather patterns in 2017? Snow apocalypse, snowmageddon, right? It was insane. And uh, so it was terrible. Not only that. We were a one-car family. This was before we had the minivan, Golden Girl, the minivan that we have. Uh, We were a one-car family. Our one car was in the shop, and I was borrowing my brother's uh, Pontiac Grand Am two-wheel drive. It was terrible in the snow, but it was all that, you know, we could, we could find. So, okay, so that's the scene, okay? So I get done with uh, the first 
service, your first, you know, the early evening Christmas Eve services, and we have a party that we're going to go to out in Hidden Springs, over, you know, over the hill, but it's really snowy, and so it's like, well, I don't think this car is going to make it over the hill, so we drive the car home, and we carpool. Someone picks us up, we, we go out to the party, and it's a sock exchange. We're all changing, stealing socks from each other, and it's just a great time, and then we go back, you know, we get dropped off back home, and then I'm just waiting, because 11 p.m. is way too late for a church service, right? And I'm just waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and, fine, and I'm getting sleepy, and I'm like, oh, man, how am I going to preach this service tonight? And I look at my, my uh, watch, and it's, it's 10 p.m. It's like, okay, I should probably head back over to the church. And I go up to the key rack, and there's no keys. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, where, and you start retracing your steps. And for, for, so, think about what would you do in that situation? Because people, when they lose something, they respond in different ways. Some people, uh, they retrace their steps. They're like systematically, you know, Sherlock Holmes style. And they're going back and they're like, well, I, was at the, I was at the sock party or I was at this. Or don't worry, we'll get that fixed as well. Whatever that was. And, uh, and uh, I promise we did a great building renovation. I promise. And uh, they start thinking systematically. Some people, they enlist others to help right? It's a search party. Let's get everyone, you know, let's get everyone involved. Some people, they give up and they say, well, you know, it'll turn up on its own. And how often does that really work, you know? And it's just kind of like this. And I went through all the different emotions during this time. I'm flipping couches upside down and I'm getting really angry and I'm saying words that I need to repent of and all this sort of thing. And and it, like, I, I lose track of time, and I look at my watch, and it's 10.52. And I'm supposed to preach in minutes. And so I call uh, my friend Stephen, who's now one of our elders. He actually is helping uh, mop up some of the toilet water today. Which, if you're wondering what elders do, that's kind of like one of, the, one of the duties. And uh, so I call my friend Stephen. He's asleep right? It's almost midnight. He's asleep. He comes. He picks me up. I drop him back off at home. I drive down as fast as I can in Snowmageddon to church. I walk up on stage just as the last worship song is concluding. And I was probably in the worst mindset that you could be to preach a sermon on Christmas Eve. And, uh, and I told that story on Thursday, and I, and I forgot to say that I did find the keys. <laughs> <laughs> after, after church, everyone was like, so what happened to the keys? So the keys had fallen out of, I still had them in my pocket, the car keys. They had fallen out on the side of the road at the Christmas party in the snow, and they were buried in the snow. And the next morning, one of our relatives came out, and like they were digging through the snow, and they found the car keys. Yes, we can celebrate that. We can celebrate that. So here's why I tell you that story. Two, thing, two things I think that, that we can take away from that story. It was important that I found the car keys. Was it not? This is not, it wasn't just some like trivial item, you know, like, oh, I lost this stuffed animal, or I lost this, or it's like, that was my only ticket to get down to the church building, right? It was very, very, it wasn't even my car. So then I'm thinking like, how am I going to return this car without the keys? And just, it was, it was very important, but it was also urgent. Do you see that? The clock was ticking. There, there wasn't a moment to waste. I had to find them so that I could get down there. And when it comes to the mission of God, to seeking to save lost people in this world, it's the most important thing. 
the most important mission for the church to be on mission, for us to be united and unified on this. It's a great vision for us going into the season as a church not to lose track of the mission. And it's also incredibly urgent, much more urgent than most of the time we realize. So with that in mind, we're going to jump into Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells these three stories. We only have time to look at the first two. And the situation that prompts these stories being told by Christ is the Pharisees, these religious leaders, are upset that Jesus, a religious man himself, a holy man himself, would would dare to spend time with tax collectors and sinners. They're appalled by it. And so instead of arguing with these, these people, what Jesus does, he says, well, let me tell you a story. And this is the first story he tells in Luke 15, verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Got a simple math equation for you. The shepherd has 100 sheep and he loses one of them. How many percentage of sheep did he lose? Some of you are like, let me get my calculator out. 1%. Okay, one out of 100. That's how it works. One one out of 100. He loses 1% of his sheep. Why doesn't he just get a new one? A hundred's a lot of sheep, right? And 99's close enough. I mean, if you get a 99% on a test, you probably tell everyone that you know, I aced that test. Well, you still got that one wrong, right? Close enough, though. I mean, think about this shepherd is intentionally told by Jesus. I think this is a significant detail. He has a hundred whole sheep. How many sheep do you have? Probably less than 100. I mean, in the ancient world, that's where your money is. A wealthy person had livestock. And not just like a sheep here and there, or maybe half a dozen if you're really doing well. You know? 100? That's a ton. This is a wealthy shepherd. And this is significant that he, he doesn't just say, well, you know, he finishes counting them. We've got, we've got George, and we've got Fluffy, and we've got Spot. You know, he's like counting them. He's like, ah, I guess we're missing one. Close enough. I'll just buy a new one. I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get more. This is significant, is that the shepherd is unsatisfied as long as there is even 1% of his flock missing. Here's the point. Jesus cares about each and every one. He cares about every single lost soul. And there's no close enough when it comes to the mission of God. There's no, well, I mean, 99 out of 100 is pretty good. Jesus has this, this ongoing heart of compassion where God, this is revealing about the heart of God, is it not? He desires all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And, and Jesus Christ himself, he evangelized publicly. He preached sermons where thousands of people heard him share this invitation, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But what I find so shocking about Christ Jesus during his time, his precious time during his ministry on earth, is he not only relied on public preaching, he also personally spent time with people. 
lost people. Remember what sparked this story? Why are you spending so much time with the tax collectors and sinners? And you can hear in another moment where, where Jesus called Matthew the tax collector, it's not the healthy that need the doctor, but who? It's the sick. Jesus is like, don't you get it? Those are the people that, the king, that we're, we're wanting to welcome in and usher in and show the kingdom of heaven to. He spent time privately engaging in personal evangelism. I think of Zacchaeus. You can read about the story of Zacchaeus from Luke 19, where Jesus sees a tax collector, notorious sinner. He, he has no community. He has no friends. Because every single person, his friends, his, from, from growing up, his family members, feel like he's a traitor. Well, you, now you work for the Romans, and you're embezzling money, and you're ripping us off. And, and Zacchaeus has literally burned every relational bridge that he had. He's lost. He's got a lot of money, but it's not satisfying. So Jesus sees Zacchaeus, and what does he do? He doesn't just say, listen to my sermon. He says, I'm coming to your house today. And Jesus spends what the Pharisees would say wastes time, but he spends precious time with Zacchaeus, talking to him, explaining the things of God to him. Now, we don't want to get it wrong. He's not, he, he's not um, approving of Zacchaeus's greedy lifestyle, is he? He doesn't spend time with him and say, you know what, you're good on your own. You don't need to repent. He calls Zacchaeus to repent. Turn away from your evil. Turn away from your greed. Repay what you've stolen from people. And Zacchaeus is willing, and Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And then he says this in Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man, Jesus is referencing himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus says, you want to know why I'm spending so much time with tax collectors and prostitutes and demon-possessed people and sinners? Do you want to know? It's exactly why I came, to seek and to save the lost. And he wasn't satisfied to depend on the church programs or the public preaching. And there's power in that. I'm going to keep preaching. As long as God allows me, I'm going to keep standing up here and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. But this is something that all of us can do. Can spend time with lost people that God has put you in their life and to show them the good news of the gospel. See, when we follow Jesus closely, he will lead us to the lost. Because that's where his Holy Spirit is already going. What does it mean to walk by the Holy Spirit anyway? It means to go where God is calling you, is leading you. It's to, to say yes to the good works that you were created to do in Christ Jesus. And so I might say it like this. You can't reach someone that you don't know. I mean, not really. I mean, there's power in, in preaching a sermon or writing a book or even posting on social media. But let's just be real for a moment. How many people are you going to be able to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit if you haven't actually had a meal with that person? You know what I'm saying? Can you really reach them if they don't know you and you don't know them, you don't know their story? And if even Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, wasn't relying only on the public preaching, but personally evangelized, that should inform our mission as well. Shouldn't it, church? Amen. And so I just want to challenge you if you've been isolating yourself from lost people, follow Jesus into the lost places of this world. Listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit and go where he calls you. And I want to speak just for a moment for maybe you, maybe to you. If you feel like you're lost, 
You're here in church this morning, but you feel you can relate to that lost sheep. I mean, think about that lost sheep, the situation that sheep is in for a moment. The wilderness is meant to represent a place of the unknown, a place of danger. What's in the wilderness anyways? Wild animals, wolves, robbers. I mean, harsh elements. That sheep is maybe caught in a thicket or it's down in a chasm. Uh, I've heard people say, I don't know if I haven't verified this or like fact check this or not, but I've heard people say that without shepherds, sheep as a species would be extinct. Have you heard that? Because they're just honestly not what they don't do well on their own. Okay. That's a nice way to say it. And so it's like this sheep isolated from the flock, isolated, especially from the care and the leadership of the shepherd is doomed to destruction and death. All, all, just give it time. It might survive for a little while, but it will die in the wilderness. That's what Jesus wants us to know about isolation from God's kingdom and separation from, the, from our Savior. And so the sheep, if it, if it gets to that point of rock bottom, which is sometimes where people need to get before they fully cry out to God, what that sheep is going to do is it's going to start to, it's just going to start to cry out. <laughs> you didn't think I was going to do it, did you? It's going to cry out. And I don't know what the motivation for going, wandering in the wilderness was for that sheep. I'm sick of all these other sheep, or I'm sick of, you know, all the hypocrisy in the flock, or whatever. Like, I don't know what it is. The motivation might be different for each person. But eventually, what's going to happen is that the shepherd is not going to give up on that one. This is the compassion of God. This is the relentless pursuit of, of the mission of God. And so Jesus goes out into the wilderness looking, 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 and listening to those sheep that are at the point where they're willing to cry out and come home. He's not going to fight with the sheep and force the sheep to come home against his will because what's going to happen to that sheep? He's going to go right back out to the wilderness if that's where it really wants to be. But to, the, to those that are willing to call on the name of the Lord, today can be the day of salvation for you. Are you lost in the wilderness? Are you living a life of rebellion against God? Come thou fount of every blessing has this beautiful line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I think all of us feel that at times. The allure of the world, the peer pressure of the culture, the temptations of, the, of, of sin. We don't see the danger of the wilderness. We just see it's, it's beautiful out in the wilderness and it allures us until it's too late. And what does the shepherd do when he finds the sheep? This is so important. A.W. Tozer said the most important thing about a person is what comes into your mind when you think about God. How do you imagine that shepherd finding the sheep? What are you doing out here? Why'd you leave in the first... Kick! You know? What, is it, what does the shepherd do? He stoops down, grabs the sheep, and carries it on his shoulders. He's not like giving the sheep a lecture the whole way home. You should have never wandered off. You know? He's, he's lovingly caring for the sheep this tender heart, this touch of the good shepherd. We have a beautiful stained glass portrayal of Jesus as the good shepherd. If you're up in the balcony, you can turn, you can see it. Maybe for some of you, you can see it. After church, I'd encourage you to, to, to step to a place where you can see that beautiful picture of Jesus as the good shepherd all throughout church history. It's a beautiful picture. But what we have to see about Jesus is he's not only the shepherd that goes and rescues, he also 
dies in the place of that sheep. In Isaiah 53, using the same imagery, the prophet Isaiah writes this, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, this is every single one of us, we've turned, we've sinned, we've lived a life of rebellion against God to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The him there is Jesus. This is a messianic prophecy about the coming Messiah. And so what we have to recognize is that Jesus is the good shepherd who, who is he's seeking, he's saving, but he's also the one who took the place of that sheep, dying for the sins of the world, bleeding for the blood of the new covenant to be established, and rising in victory three days later. And the, pen, the penalty and the punishment and the price has all been paid already. And so if you're here and you feel like, I'm lost in the wilderness, I've sinned, I've lived a life in rebellion against God, today can be the day. Like that lost sheep out in the wilderness, would you call on Jesus to forgive your sins and lead your life? Would you call out to God to save you today? Amen? Jesus continues, he tells a second story in Luke 15, verse 8. He says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently? Everyone say diligently. This is not haphazard. This is not just casual. This is systematic until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. And just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, at first glance, this is really similar to the first story. Something's lost. Someone is looking for it. Eventually, they find it. And then what happens at the end? There's a party, right? And so if we're not careful, we can read Scripture and be like, oh, it's just the same point as before. And in these situations, it's important to look at the similarities, but I think it's even more important to look at the differences. One of the differences is the increasing impact of that which is lost. So, okay, one out of 100 is 1% of lost sheep. How many coins does the woman have? She has 10, and she loses one. Okay, another math problem, what's one out of 10? 10%, and in the third story, a father has two sons, and one goes to a, a foreign land. He loses one of his sons, what's one out of two? 50%. Each one of these stories is increasing in impact. We should feel the increasing impact of it. And by the way, in the third story, you're no longer looking at inanimate objects or animals. You're looking at sons, family that's lost. So that's, I mean, I would challenge you. We're not going to have time to look at that third story today. This week, would you read it? Would you pray through it? Would you meditate on the story of the lost son from Luke chapter 15? Not only is there an increasing impact, but we're meant to really think about this, this woman and sometimes we think, okay, she has 10 coins and she loses one. Maybe they're like collector's edition coins. It's like, you know, she has a hob, she's a coin collector or whatever. It's like, it doesn't say that. It says she has 10 coins. And I think the reason why Jesus switches and has a woman here is oftentimes women in the ancient world didn't have a career and certainly didn't have a savings account. So when it says she has 10 coins, we might read it as she only has 10 coins. Does that change it? It's not like she loses one of her 10, you know, she like loses a nickel. And then it's like, oh, well, I got a big savings account. It's like, imagine you log into your bank account tomorrow and 10% of your savings was just gone. Your life savings. You'd be on the phone with customer service. I think there's been a mistake, you know, can you help me track this down? And there's this, there's this urgency. And the longer that, so that, that money is lost, you're like beginning to doubt. I don't know if it'll ever come back to me. 
I don't know if it'll ever be found. Think about the ancient world. She's sweeping the house. That's because these houses don't have floors or carpet. It's dirt. And so if that coin is under the mud, it's not going to like rise to the top magically. It's only going to get more in the mud. There's animals that could, you know, accidentally gobble it up, right? And so this woman feels this urgency. I've lost 10% of what I own. I must find it. Not, to, not tomorrow, not the next day. I must find it now. Here's a principle. The longer something is lost, the more difficult it is to find. And, I, and God can do a miracle in someone's life, no matter how far you are from him. But just think about that for a moment. We talk about someone who's, who's walking away from God as there's distance. The longer that someone is walking away from God, the more distance there is. And we need to wake up, church, and we need to recognize, maybe you do recognize, that if you have a family member or a friend, you have a loved one, you have that heart of compassion, you know it's important to talk to them about Jesus. You know it's important that they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and your Savior and their Savior. But maybe you've lost the urgency I'll get to it eventually if the conversation comes up. And we just have to recognize this is urgent. Not only is there they're not a close enough in the mission of God, there's no time to waste in the mission of God. We don't know how many, how many more opportunities we will have in a conversation with that person. We don't know how many days we have left on this earth. We don't know how many days they have left on this earth. We don't know how many days until Christ Jesus returns. The mission of God is urgent to seek and to save the lost. And another difference between this story and the first one is that the sheep is lost out there, right? It's out in the wilderness. Where is the coin lost? It's actually in the house still. And that's really significant. I mean, it doesn't quite work with the first story. If you have 99 sheep and then one sheep is lost, but they're just in amongst the sheep, it's not lost. It's there, right? So in the second story, it actually makes a lot of sense. It's, it's covered up. It's in the dirt. It's in the house. I think of what Jesus said is he's teaching us that there's another way to be lost. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 10, 6, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this all comes together in the third story. I'm going to give you a bit of a spoiler alert to that third story of the lost son. The prodigal son goes off to the distant land. That's the sheep that's lost out in the wilderness. Pretty obvious that he's living a sinful life, right? And he comes home, and just like the, you know, Jesus is the good shepherd, the father just wraps his arms, is happy, throws a celebration. But then there's this other son who never went to the foreign land. He stayed where? In the home. But he demonstrates through his conversation with his father and how much he resents his younger brother and he hates his family members that he's in fact, he's in the house, but he demonstrates he in fact has been lost the whole time. There's a second way to be lost. You know it's possible to be religious and far from God. It's possible to attend church services, to sing songs, and to actually be a person of unclean lips. It's possible to think you're saved because your parents are saved or you grew up in a Christian household or you've, you, you've logged enough you know, Bible study times and not genuinely have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's possible to be in the house, to use Jesus' language, and to be lost. Are you lost in the house? Are you here today? And maybe you don't have these obvious evident, that's a tax collector behavior, that's a sinner behavior, that's a pretty obvious lost person behavior. You have these hidden internal 
behaviors or motives? Are you a person who is constantly unforgiving? Have you ever really received the forgiveness of God? Because that'll change your heart and make you someone who's forgiving. Are you someone who's bitter, judgmental, hypocritical, mean? I mean, it's pretty easy for someone to to be in church and to, to do those activities, but then we're confronted with the fruit of the Spirit. Those other kind of things sound a lot more like the works of the flesh from Galatians chapter 5. And you have to ask yourself, are you counting on your own righteousness, your own behavior to be saved? Or have you truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you're clothed in his righteousness? And the reality is, this woman recognizes the urgency, not just on this mission out there, but also the mission. Maybe there's someone in your own household who's still lost. And what does she do? She sweeps the house, but she also lights something. What does she light? A lamp. I think this is meant to represent the light of the gospel, the light of the word of God. God's word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. It not only shows us where we should go, but it shows us, it convicts us, the Holy Spirit. Look at what 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul writes this to the church. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is referencing creation where God said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you're lost in the house, I want to challenge you to turn on the lights, open God's word, and instead of reading it as ammunition to use against sinful people in this world, would you humbly sit under the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to convict you? And would you turn back towards Jesus? Stop trying to save yourself through your own religious activities like the Pharisees, your own self-righteousness, and surrender and let Jesus truly be your Lord and your Savior. Turn on the lights. And what I want to invite us to think about here at the end, as we think about these different ways to be lost and the different people in our lives, is I just want to ask you to consider this one question. Who is your one? Who is your one? Who is the one person that Jesus is calling you to commit to praying for, to going after, to pursuing, to sharing the light of the gospel? We have these bookmarks, uh, these bookmarks to write down the name of 10 people in your life. And I want to encourage you to grab one of these bookmarks if you don't have it and commit to praying for these people consistently. But if we're honest, sometimes it can be overwhelming. For God so loved the world. And you think, well, I'm not going to be able to share the gospel with the whole world, Right? And maybe even 10 is a bit overwhelming at times. I still want to encourage you to take a bookmark and pray through it. But you're like, if every day you're trying to like look for these 10 people, and this week, I just want for just for this week, who is your one? Maybe it's someone who's already on your prayer bookmark. Maybe it's someone brand new. And would you intentionally pray for that one person? And would you, build, would you commit to building a relationship with that person? Maybe you've been praying for that person for months. When was the last time you ate with them? Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. He ate with people who were lost because he recognized that there has to be that platform of relationship. Would you commit to building a relationship? Maybe for you, a step after church today is to just text that person and set up a coffee meeting with them. Invite them over for dinner. Would you live the light of the gospel? That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5.14. It's where we get our name. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And if we actually live as the light of the world, people will see our good deeds and glorify our Father who's in heaven. That's because before someone hears the good news, 
they should see the good works in our lives. They should see a difference. They should feel that we love our neighbors as ourselves. But then we don't just rely on good works and say, that lost person will be found eventually. Right? That's the kind of like, I'm sure it'll turn up eventually. I'm sure the car keys. When spring hits and the snow melts, I'm sure somebody will pick them up, right? It's not to have this nonchalant, like, yeah, I'm just going to keep living a generally good life and doing that, and maybe they'll ask me about Jesus. But we've got to actually share the good news, church. What is news other than a message? And a message must be spoken. It must be heard in order to be received. And would you be willing, this week even, I believe if our church, if our entire church answered this question, who is your one today? And prayed and built a relationship with and lived and served and showed the good news of the gospel before we shared it, but we were willing to share it this week, we would see lost people be found. Do you believe that? Do you have a vision for that? We're going to have an opportunity to watch and to celebrate the, th- the 34 baptisms from last week at Church in the Park. And I want to encourage you to watch this and to remember in all three of those stories, when a, whenever a lost person gets found, what happens in heaven? There's a celebration. There's joy. And that's true here. That's why today is such a day of joy for us as we celebrate these, these lost people becoming found. But I also want to challenge you to watch this video and watch these people get baptized, do you have a vision that you would be able to be the person that baptizes that one that you're praying for this week? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God could use you to be the one? It's okay if they ask for someone else. You don't have to be offended by that. But do you have a vision for that, that you would actually share the gospel and disciple and serve and sacrifice and be generous towards and pray on your knees with tears? that one day you might have the privilege and the honor of being the very person to welcome that that one into God's kingdom because Jesus cares about each and every one. And I hope at the end of this video we can celebrate the joy of new life. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.